Uh, most of us here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain about this. I, I, don't think, I don't think I have to really guess. I've probably never heard of a guy named Albert A. Michelson. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said too. I didn't actually know about him until this week. But Michelson was a, a German-born American physicist who was known for his work on measuring uh, the speed of light. And in 1894, he made a sweeping statement about the extent of knowledge. He said, in particular, about physics. He said, it seems probable that most of the grand underlying principles have been firmly established. In other words, what he was saying was he believed that there wasn't an awful lot new to discover and that the underlying principles were, were all there and they were definitive. Now, that statement actually is often attributed to another physicist uh, from England named Lord Kelvin, who said he thinks everything that has er could ever be invented has already been invented. Now, let's do, do better with what we have. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, just not. Because 11 years later, a wild-haired German genius named Albert Einstein proved him wrong. In 1905, Einstein published a paper, and I have no idea exactly what this is, on special relativity. But what, what he said is that that turned everything physicists were absolutely certain about, turned everything on its head. In the paper, what he suggested was that mass and energy were actually the same physical entity, and they could be changed into each other. And the famous formula for that that he came up with was, E, energy, equals the mass times C squared, C being the speed of light. So it was a huge number, the amount of energy that could come out if it was converted. But that was derived from that theory of special relativity, relatively, meaning, okay, relativity because it could be light, it could be mass, but they're actually, believe it or not, the same thing. And we actually even know a little more about that now with black holes. You can't see them. You can see that they're there because of the effect it has on what's around them. But, my goodness, they're just energy. Well, Einstein's work changed everything that we understand about, about, sort of about the world, the physics part. Because for 200 years, physics had been going in one particular direction. And after Einstein's paper, they had to rethink almost everything. And it was a, it was a seismic shift. It was a seismic paradigm shift shook the world. Uh, he also contributed a lot to what's known as quantum theory, and you're, st you're hearing that word a lot these days because they're finding out that it, it, things don't just happen in straight lines. You know, so a particle can be here now, and it can be over there, like, instantaneously, and we don't know how it gets there, and neither did the scientists. Anyway, okay. Well, paradigm shifts brought this up because paradigm shifts changed the world. They changed the way we see the world. And there are lots of others, but there are several of them in the Scripture, world-changing shifts in Scripture. One of them took place between Jesus and his closest followers just before his crucifixion at the Passover meal. He shared that with his friends. Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew he would that night and that the next day he'd be put to death. But what he did that evening in the upper room represented a shift 
that overturned a lie that humanity has believed since the Garden of Eden. The lie that says that if you want to be blessed, look out for yourself before anybody else. Jesus knew his position and he knew his power. He knew that God the Father had put all things under his authority. And yet, what did he do? He set aside his crown for an apron. The one who is in the highest position in the universe stooped down to serve. Paradigm shift. In Matthew 20, uh, verse 28, part of the Great Commission, Jesus said, the Son of Man, not 2028, not 2820, I'm thinking 2820, sorry, Matthew 2028, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the first of the two S's in our acronym BLESS that we've been going through. Serve. So if we, the first one is to be the begin with prayer. If we begin with prayer, if we really listen to people and learn about them because we want to know them better, we eat together and build community, build relationship with them, then we get a good idea of how we can best serve that person. And that's a person that God is asking us to bless. So we want to go to that story in the book of John, uh, the story of the meal in the upper room. So if you want to turn to John chapter 13, we're going to read this together. I use a New International Version because that's the one that most of us have. But if you've got New Living or you've got a New King James or you've got a King James Version or if you have a, an ESV, those are good too. Check it out in your own. Okay, John 13, or you can follow along on screen. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. I like that. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, you, don't, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Think about what was happening in that story. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, the maker and sustainer of everything, King of kings, the Lord of lords. And there's no one higher. There's no one with more power. And even if they didn't understand all that, even if some of them didn't understand his spiritual authority, they still would have considered him someone to be highly respected because he was their, their rabbi, the teacher, their spiritual teacher, spiritual leader. In the first century, uh, washing someone's feet was a common practice before a meal, but it was the job of the lowest servant in the house. It fell to what was known as the bond servant or the bond slave. Lowest, lowest one on the, on the, in the house. In that setting, first century, excuse me a second. In that setting, feet were one of the two dirtiest areas of bodies. You can guess what the other one is. <laughs> but people, people didn't, they seldom wore shoes. They didn't all wear shoes. And in, in an agrarian culture, it would be almost impossible not to be walking on manure. Many of our parks here, if you've been in our parks, you, they're well populated with Canada geese. And it's pretty hard. To, you wouldn't want to walk barefoot through Derby Reach Park in Langley or, you would, or uh, Matsqui Foreshore Park under the Mission Bridge. You just wouldn't do it in bare feet because you know what's going to happen. Yes. Ew. <laughs> so people sitting at a table had to have their feet washed. Israel... When, when people ate, they didn't sit on dining room chairs at a table like we do. They, they, the table would have been lower to the floor, and they probably would have been leaning on an elbow. And depending on how big the room was, they would have been uh, put around the table like that. So feet were pretty close to someone's head. You would always be next to the guy beside you, but maybe the guy around him, his feet would be close to your head. And if they were unwashed feet, the smell would waft upward and perfume the room. Who, uh, question for you, who does the gross jobs around your house? <laughs> who likes to do the gross jobs around their house? <laughs> yeah, a lot of us are happy to have somebody else do them, aren't we? As long as we don't have to. Well, the lowest servant did the gross jobs here in the first century. And so Jesus shocked his disciples 
by getting up and taking off his outer garment and wrapping the towel around his waist and doing that job shocked them. Now bear in mind, their, their culture was, um, a, it was an honor and shame culture, shame-based and honor-based. Uh, your, your reputation had to be protected. It was the high value to protect your own reputation. So people like teachers and priests and the, and the ruling council were the high prestige uh, positions. And they expected to be served by other people, by people lower than them. So washing feet in a public setting could easily tank your, your reputation. What? He's doing what? Uh, pardon the inaccurate table here in this picture. I was looking for something uh, else in this, in this shot. I need, this is like a 16th century European table. <laughs> okay. But uh, what Jesus did is uh, Peter, uh, Peter Paul Rubens is, is the, the, I think, the, the inspiration for this painting. But I think that's why Peter responded the way that Jesus did. Or sorry, but he responded to Jesus the way that he did. Because of this, this shame-based culture they had. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Probably emphasize more this way. Lord, you are going to wash my feet? Are you serious? This is backwards. This is upside down. That can't be right. You're, you're a rabbi. You're the most honored person that we know. What on earth are you doing? I know I'm putting words into Peter's mouth, but I imagine that Peter probably felt that way. Paradigm shift. Say, let's imagine, for example, that uh, you worked for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We actually know someone who did. Now, imagine that when Dr. Graham was still alive, that he came to your office hung his jacket up over a chair, rolled up his sleeves, and washed your feet. Would that make you uncomfortable? Probably yes. How does Jesus respond to Peter? <laughs> Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now Jesus isn't talking just about dirty feet. He's talking about the spiritual cleansing that will take place when our sin is washed away at the cross. In a few hours, Jesus was going to, was, would choose to be stripped and humiliated and set aside his crown, not for an apron, but for a cross. And he would take the full weight of our sins and wash us clean. Once for all, so that we could be cleansed forever and be in a right relationship with the Father. Wow. So washing their feet in the upper room wasn't just a, a kind gesture. It was a demonstration of the change that was going to come. It was a seismic paradigm shift. And this was a, one of the pictures of it. Instead of being served... Now it's about serving. 
So he said, and he actually told them that. Verse 15 and 17, he said, I've set you an example. Do you understand why I did this? I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And now that you know these things, he finished with, you will be blessed if you do them. If the message is simple, he says it's our turn to serve the way Jesus did. It's our turn. Not on the cross. We can't do that. But we serve others. It's our turn to serve, to, serve, to set aside our crown for, a, for our, an apron. In our world, you know, in, in our world, in our culture, our culture believes that the more power and wealth you have gives you leverage to get others. What do we see so often on TV? An entourage. What's an entourage? Well, one guy who's got all the wealth, all the cars, all of the, the, the toys, gold chains, and a bunch of sycophants walking around telling him everything he wants to know about himself, how wonderful he is. That's not the way this works, folks. Jesus turns that on his head. If you want to bless the world, he says, you serve. Scripture says, um, tells us that we love God because God first loved us. We could paraphrase that a little here and say, uh, we serve because Jesus served us. He demonstrated it. Mark's gospel has another story in it that talks about Jesus healing a man who couldn't hear, who had a speech impediment, and it was a way of serving this man. Let's turn there. Mark 7, uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 31. It's the last six verses of the chapter here. Yeah. Okay. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. That's a group of cities called the Ten Cities. There were some people brought to, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha. Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. <laughs> we're such obedient people. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And in saying that, they also knew, many of them, that that was Old Testament scripture about what Messiah would do. You probably don't think of this as, as an example of, of serving because we get focused in and zoned in on the miracle part, which is amazing and wonderful. But there are actually three specific things in here in this story about serving. First is this. 
Jesus, as I've done. Uh, it, it's this idea of serving those who are close to us. The word for something that's close to you is, the pro- is proximity. Proximity. Serve those who are close. Jesus served the, served the people who were in front of him. Uh, he served those who were, who were near him. We don't have to go somewhere else necessarily to serve. It doesn't have to be big, and it doesn't have to be bold and dramatic either. Uh, but I suspect, if we're honest, we don't mind getting a little attention for what we do. We wouldn't come right out and say it, of course. Oh no, we're too, we're too, too humble for that. But we like those, those uh, attaboys, attaboy, way to go. We like those attagirls. We, now, we don't do things just to get attention. We don't. But it feels kind of good to be acknowledged for doing something good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. For doing the right thing, for doing a good thing. We have to put that aside. And we have to put aside the idea that it would be seen even. Uh, what, what if God was to say to you, why not do that thing for your next door neighbor? Well, we might come back and say, well, look, nobody gets a Nobel Prize for loving their neighbor. <laughs> well, that's true. But what better place to start than the people near to us? Uh, how about even the people living under your own roof? Our mission is to be lived out wherever our feet take us. And we can start where we live or where we work or where we play, where we hang out, where we gather together to hear God. These are the people we can serve. It isn't a hard and fast rule, though, because if you look at this story from Mark, you realize in the first sentence, Jesus traveled. He traveled from near Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are cities on the Mediterranean coast. He went all the way through Galilee, across the Sea of Galilee, to the Decapolis. That was ten cities that were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That's a distance of about 140 kilometers. So that's about the same distance as... Walk, walking from here to Everett, Washington. That's about 140K. It's not an afternoon's walk, is it? Well, Jesus wanted to do that. He came, he did it so he could be close to the people that the Father wanted him to serve. He was being directed and led by God. And so God can do it either way. God either, has either sent me already to the people that he wants me to serve, or he's going to send me. So, ask. Ask him. I think most likely the people God wants us to serve are the ones right around us. So, who has God put in your path? Take a moment and let God bring someone to your mind. Make a note of it. Maybe write it down somewhere on the handout or, or put it on, write it on your palm of your hand so you remember. Later on you'll go, why is so-and-so's name on my hand? Then you'll remember. Yeah. So, serve those who are close. Start there. Second, 
Make it personal. Make it personal. Jesus, do you notice Jesus didn't do this for show? In in verse 33 here of Mark, he says he took this hearing impaired man aside, away from the people. Now, why did he do that? Well, first of all, he didn't want to make a spectacle out of this thing, make it into a sideshow. But he also, Mark tells us this man was deaf and had a speech impediment. It's quite possible that this man knew what it was like to be mocked and made fun of. And so Jesus takes him aside, showed compassion to him. He understood this man's needs beyond the obvious one by doing it out of the crowd's gaze. A lot of our serving can be like that too. It can be behind the scenes, out of sight serving. We don't need or perhaps even want others to know about it. We don't do it for the recognition, do we? Right? We don't. No, of course not. We do it because we want to bless them. We do it because Jesus wants us to bless them. And Jesus spoke about that too in Matthew in a different context. He said, this is about giving in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when we give to those in need, he said, don't announce it to be honored by others. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Do it out of sight, in secret. Then your heavenly Father will bless you. All serving doesn't have to be secret, but don't do it to be seen doing it. That's his point. Because if you do that, you're really serving you. Look what I did. Oh, look what I did. Oh, give myself a pat on the back. Yeah. No. No. One more thing that we shouldn't be uh, overlook when we're talking about serving people. And, and I say this, to serve in God's power. Um, Jesus accessed God's power. He had God's power to open a man's ears and heal him. Uh, when we think about serving, usually practical things come to our mind. Like anything from, oh, I, like shoveling a driveway on a, after a big snowfall or or even down to adopting a child or taking in a refugee family. Big things. But have you also considered that when we serve others, we have, as his followers, the power of God available to us? John 14, Jesus told his followers, he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do we ever ask for those big things? Don't Limit your serving just to practical chores. Those are good. But if someone is sick, pray and ask God to heal them. If, if, if they have an addiction, pray and ask God to set them free from the power of whatever they're addicted to. If they're in what human terms looks like a hopelessly dysfunctional and damaged relationship, 
Pray and ask God to reconcile them. Because through Jesus, we have access to our powerful God. And sometimes he says, you don't get because you don't ask. Or you ask with the wrong motive. That's from James. But ask. Will it happen miraculously every time? No. But how many times will it happen if we don't ask? Maybe not. Sorry, I thought I had it on mute. <laughs> uh, Sue, my sweetheart in the back row there, used to get migraines all the time. Uh, they, they weren't frequent, but, but if you've had a migraine, you know how they can interfere with your life. They can bring you to a full stop. One day, and this is when our, our children were little, she had, they didn't cause the pain, <laughs> but um, she had a really, really tough one. Tylenol wasn't helping, and it wasn't going in a way. And I remember saying something, something like, this has gone on long enough. And I, really, I had no idea at the time where that came from. I said, this has gone on long enough. I got up. I laid hands on her head and I prayed in Jesus' name that the, mic, that the headache would go away. And it did. And not only did it go away that day, Sue doesn't get migraines anymore. She'll get like the, 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 the what do you call it, like the flashing lights, like the, the, the indicators that I might be getting a migraine, but then they don't come to anything. She doesn't get full-on headaches. Sometimes serving is as simple as mowing somebody's lawn when they're on vacation. Sometimes it's more. Don't limit yourself because this is the power of God that's available to us. Always remember that. And, and I love what Jesus said because if we do, he said, we'll do even greater things than these that are recorded in Scripture. I find that amazing and wonderful. So serving isn't just about what we're doing. It isn't just an activity. Serving is, is an attitude that we have. It's an attitude. It's, it's seeing a need and being willing to meet it, whether that's grabbing an apron and helping somebody or listening to somebody in distress or praying with them or helping them out when they've got no other way. What would it look like to... Um, I, I, well, I'm using a, a, a metaphor here. What's your crown? What would it look like to put down your crown and put on an apron at home? Or, or with your, what would it look like with your spouse? Or with your kids? Everyday ways to love our neighbors and change the world aren't just for somebody out there. We can start with the people we interact with every day. Wow. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, knowing what was ahead of him, figuratively put down his crown and put on that, that towel, put on that apron. What holds us back from serving the way he demonstrated? What's your crown 
What's my crown? Is it, last week we talked about one of the things that, that, we come, that can become an alibi for not doing things. Time. Is time, is, is it time? Is that the problem? Is it pride? Is it convenience or inconvenience? It, it may well be inconvenient to serve. Serve anyway. It might mean rearranging your schedule. Serve anyway. It may mean doing something low on the attaboy scale. Serve anyway. It's not about us. It's about doing what God says we're to do. The greatest among you, he said, will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So when we begin with prayer, when we listen to people, and that they trust us and pour their heart and begin to open up and tell us the deep things that they're working with and concerned with. And when we eat with them and build that relationship, we're gonna, if we do those three things, we're going to start recognizing opportunities to serve. We're going we're to learn about them and we're going to, you know what? I think this might be an opportunity to, 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 to be that friend, to do that serving right here. And eventually, someone might even ask you, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this? Why do you serve the way you do? What makes you different from the other people they know? And when that happens, you'll be able to get to the fifth and last letter in our acronym. But that's next week's sermon. So you have to wait till next week. <laughs> yeah. So the paradigm shift, the, the shift from being served to serving is, is what changes everything. Um, even, even secular business writers now have figured this out. They, they, have, they call servant leadership. And some of them do that. Um, yeah, there's, there's guys who have figured that out and they, they, know, they know it works. But that's because Jesus said it works. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus wants from us. We cannot give our life for people like he did for us. There's only ever been one person who could do that, and that's Jesus himself. But we can serve. And when we do, we will be blessed, and we will bless others. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's an easy and a hard thing that we're talking about today. It sounds quite easy. But the hard thing to do, it, Lord, is to step out and do it in faith and trust you that what will happen is something that you have asked for us to do. And that is to bless others and bring, be salt and light and bring the good news of, God, of Jesus to our, to our world. And being salt and light and serving and blessing others and seeing that others prosper. 
is part of that. And so Jesus, show us, help us to be those good listeners, help us to build those relationships, and when we find out where there is a need, Lord, show us how we can meet it, show us how we, we can serve and bless those people and trust the results to you. We pray and ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.